As the ushers are taking the offering, I just want to say hello. It is good to see everyone this morning, and it is good to see a number of people here because we survived a lot over the last 24 hours. There's been wind, there's been storms, some of you have experienced power outages. Anyone experience a power outage? For once, I actually have to leave my hand down, so I'm thanking the Lord today. We still had power. Um, but you even survived the time change. Some of you may have been here really early. Some of you may have just woken up really early. So kudos to you, you survived. And we're, we're glad that everyone is here. Um, and as alluded to at the beginning of the service, um, it's been an eventful morning already here. We came in and one of our three phases of electricity was out. Internet was out. Um, and so a lot of things have been in scramble mode as we've gotten everything going. So unfortunately, there is no live stream. Um, they don't know that. Well, they hopefully do now. Um, but if they haven't, they haven't tuned in yet. So um, it could be that as well. But we're just glad to be here in the house of the Lord this morning. Um, it looks to be a beautiful day yet again. God is just good. Amen. He gives us, even when it's raining and we're like, yeah, I'd rather have the sun. But the ground needs the rain, right? And so we can be thankful for those kinds of things and, and just rejoice in all that he does for us. And so this morning as we get started, I would love for you to turn to First John chapter 2. We're going to look at just a few verses um, from that chapter. And uh, if you need to, you can you know, use a Bible that's right in front of you um, or pull it up on your mobile device. Um, we're going to be looking at First John chapter 2. And we're going to start reading at verse 15 in just a moment. But before we read these verses, I feel that it's important to set the stage just a little bit, to give a little context to these verses for what the Apostle John is about to lay out for us. At this point in the letter, uh, John is an old man. Um, He has experienced a lot in his walk with the Lord. We are talking late first century, um, and so this is anywhere... Scholars believe from 50 to 60 years after Jesus walked to the face of the earth. So John has been around a while. He has seen a lot of things. Um, And with a grandfatherly kind of love and care, he's been writing to the church some things that he's been noticing and that he has as a primary goal this, that they would have ongoing fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus. That day to day, no matter what is going on, no matter what circumstances they may be facing, they would have fellowship and they would walk in communion with the Father and the Son. And so far in this letter, John has instructed and he's encouraged the believers in a few things. He's encouraged them that God is light and that in him is no darkness at all. He has reminded them to walk in the light because God is the light. He's reminded them to love God and keep his commandments using Jesus as their example for living. He says, walk in the way that Jesus walked. And to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, that is going to be an outward expression of how we can show that we are walking with the Lord. And right before our passage, John reminds the believers of the resources and the blessings that they have as followers of Christ, that their sins are forgiven, they now know the Father, and that they have overcome the evil one. And so now we come to verse 15, and we're going to pick it up there. 
And John says and writes, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So here John exhorts, or another way to say that is he strongly encourages or urges them, the believers, with these words, do not love the world or the things in the world. Now a lot of the things up until this point he's been saying, do this, do that. And he comes to this point and he comes at it from kind of the negative context and says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Even though we've received innumerable blessings in Christ through his saving work in our lives, we have not yet arrived. We've not arrived to our final place. We still live in this world. And although we have believed in Christ and have been forgiven, our temptations have not and will not come to an end while we walk this earth. So John urges us not to love the world or its things. Now when we speak of not loving the world, I think it's important that we make a few general distinctions so that we get our mind wrapped around this. First, I want to caution each of us not to boil this down to a list of do's and don'ts. We can get in that mode where, okay, I need to do this, I don't need to do that. I need to uh, make sure that I'm avoiding this. Um, and, you know, there are many vices out there in the world that we can kind of have that attitude towards. All of those are good things, and they may be guardrails that we need to have in our lives, but we need to make sure that we don't have this heart that says, I got you know, to check my boxes. Instead, we're following what the Lord is leading and following his path. We may rationalize our sins and sometimes our situation, and we can sometimes condemn others in that vein as well. We can say, well, I know that George does that. Ugh, he's such a heathen. But I don't. I'm so good. Right? I don't do what they do, so I'm good. We can have that attitude. And John is really trying to kind of keep us from that kind of a mindset. Instead, he's just saying, do not love the world or the things in the world. And so I'm going to encourage each of us this morning to approach the scripture with an open mind, an open heart. Okay? So let's take a reflective or introspective posture rather than a defensive or rationalizing one this morning to see what the Holy Spirit may be laying on our hearts, that there might be some areas that we need to just focus on for ourselves. Again, the goal of John was not to have a checklist, but for us to see what is disrupting or could disrupt our connection with the Father and the Son. So before we go any further, can we do this? Can we just lay our hands out in front of us and just have this open posture before the Lord? And I just want to pray that we can remain open to what the Lord may speak to us this morning. So Lord, we just come before you as your people here at Portview this morning. And we just want to be open to what your Holy Spirit would speak to each of us. Whatever it may be, and with the number of people in this room, there could be hundreds of different things that come up into each one of our minds. And so we just want to be open to you and what you have to say for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now second, I think it's important that we clarify what the world means. 
Because some of our minds may go to John 3.16, where it says, For God so loved the world. And we might say, wait a second, I'm not supposed to love the world, but God loves the world? Well, I think there's a little distinction that we just need to make sure that we're clear on. When viewed with reference to people, the world should be loved. We should love people, whether they are here in this building or they're not. Whether they are a believer and a follower of Christ or they are not. In that sense, for God so loved the world, that should be our pattern. But when it comes to the system and the organization under the dominion of Satan, which is then understood to be not of God, the world then should not be loved. We should not love the world according to that reference. Again, people should be loved, but the world with its outlook of ignoring God should not be loved. Those who are that attitude and that spirit of rebelling against him, doing things with no thought of God, that should not be loved. The world in this context represents those things that are not from God and do not characterize who he is. So it is in that vein that John exhorts us, do not love the world or the things in the world. He is calling us to guard our hearts against the ideas, the outlooks, and the habits of the world. He urges us to be watchful. You know, don't, don't just passively lay there and say, oh, it can just roll over me, it'll be fine. We need to be active. We need to guard our hearts. We need to refuse to be dragged into the thought patterns of the world with all of its grumbling and bitterness and divisiveness and just malice. And the list could go on and on, right? There are so many things. In our journey to remain connected with God, we need to root out any affection of something which belongs to those things that will disrupt our ongoing fellowship with him. We should be continuing to seek out instead those things that draw us closer to the Father and the Son. So anything that begins to, or perhaps already deviates us from drawing closer, needs to be brought into proper check and possibly eliminated completely from our lives. Proverbs 4.23 says it like this, Above all else, guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. If we allow things to come into our heart, things are going to start to come out of our lives in that way. If we allow bitterness and anger and just the stress to just kind of eat away at us, that kind of stuff is going to start coming out in our interactions with different people. And so we need to guard our hearts against those things. And in that way, John is saying, do not love the world or the things in the world. We need to be vigilant and mindful of the world and the things that it holds dear because if they grab hold of our heart, our lives will be affected and it will ultimately be in destructive ways. Because we are, in case you haven't noticed, we are in a constant battle and our souls are the prize. Our heart is the prize So as believers, we need to keep a guard continually posted at the door of our hearts that we don't let the world or the temptations of the world or its outlooks have a free pass into our heart and mind. We need to check it at the door. We need to guard it and say, no, that's not right. Or no, that is not of God. I'm not going to entertain that any longer. 
We are to be on high spiritual alert, alert so that we don't fall prey to the lures of the world. We need to be aggressive against that temptation that comes against us. And I don't know, I've already been tempted with several different things already this morning. A lot of different directions I could have gone, and I need to be careful. And I will say from right now, I probably didn't respond the right way in all of them already this morning. But I know that I need to keep trying. I need to be aggressive and try to take that stand and say, this is what the Lord God says. This is the way that I need to act and respond and handle things. And under the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, we fight the good fight of faith to avoid having our connection to the Father and the Son be disrupted or even worse yet, severed completely. So John exhorts us, do not love the world or the things in the world. But he doesn't just give the exhortation and then move on. Rather, like a good parent, he gives an explanation why. Because a lot of times we might say, why? Why not love the world? And John gives us a few reasons for ourselves as to why we should continue to avoid the things of the world. The first reason is, in John's view, pretty simple. As believers, we now love the Father. That is our ongoing aim and our desire, to love him and to be with him. So John reasons this way at the end of verse 15 when he says, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He's making the point that loving the world is mutually exclusive from loving the Father. They cannot coexist. They are completely separate. They're in direct opposition to each other. They're kind of like oil and water. They don't mix well. They don't mix at all. And so John's reasoning echoes the teaching of Jesus, even back in Matthew 6, 24, where Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And Jesus then ends with an example. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot love God and the world at the same time. You are either pursuing one or you're pursuing the other, but you can't be pursuing both at the same time. And if our hearts show affection for the world and the things of the world, then our hearts cannot, in truth, show love and devotion to God. Love for the world pushes out the love for God. However, the opposite is also true. Love for God pushes out the love of the world. And as we take on that heart that says, I want to follow Christ with everything that I have, it begins to push out those things of the world that may have been in our lives, that may try to creep into our lives, and that may just try to assail us all the time. Our love for God pushes out that love of the world so that it no longer has a stronghold in our lives. And as we direct our thoughts, our attention, and our efforts toward God, we push back, we shove it, we, we you know, divest ourselves of that influence in, of the world around us. We value our relationship in those scenarios with the Father and the Son, and as a result, we make the love of God the ruling principle of our lives. We actively pursue him and the things of him, and the things of this world become less and less of an influence in our lives. Now, the next reason that John gives for not loving the world or its things are, is this, that the things of the world are not of the Father. 
Verse 16 says this, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. John wants to be very clear, and he says that the things of the world are not of the Father. It's a very direct statement that he gives us right there. The world, because of sin, follows an outlook and a structure that is not of God. It seeks to live life independent of him, saying, I will do what I want to do. I'm going to follow my own way. I'm going to do that. And it thinks in terms of the present moment and what feels good right now, regardless of what God has said and what what might be better for each one of us. The Father, on the other hand, thinks and acts out of humility, purity, perfect love, gentleness, the welfare of others, and again, the list can go on and on. And John provides some examples of the things that are in the world that are not of the Father, and he starts off with the desires of the flesh. He speaks first of these desires or lusts of the flesh, some versions say. And these desires are things that control us rather than us controlling the desires. And the ones of the flesh kind of come from our natural instincts. This example seeks to gratify our body's desires at the cost of morality and what is good for our soul. These controlling desires abuse certain natural instincts that are a part of human life. They can involve things like sex, food, alcohol, drugs. And these things may not be bad or evil in and of themselves, but they become a detrimental thing when they begin to control us or we use them in improper ways, or we allow them to have first place in our lives. Like We go after that because we just crave it, we desire it. And John is showing us that those controlling desires are of the world, they are not of the Father, because we are striving after those things rather than striving after him. And so he says, don't love those things. Be aware of those things, be on guard. And he then moves on to the desires of the eyes. We have cravings and lusts which are stimulated by what is seen. And this can come through perhaps both physical sight and maybe that intellectual visualization that we can have where we just marinate on a thought over and over and over. And this can be summed up with the idea, perhaps I see it, I want it, I take it. I think of Gollum from Lord of the Rings in that It becomes so precious to us, and we just visualize that over and over and over. We see that new vehicle. We see those trendy new clothes, the next gadget, and it becomes our obsession. We believe that we won't be satisfied until we have that thing, rather than being content in our standing in Jesus Christ. Again, there's nothing wrong with having a nice car, nice clothes, the cool gadgets. But if it becomes an issue that becomes our priority, That's where the problem lies. The motivation and the aim of the heart are the driver here. And by way of example, there's things that we can look at all around us that we might say, I want and I desire. I would love to have a full head of hair. (laughs) You know? And I look at, it was just the other day, there was some like infomercial or commercial and I said, guy has really cool hair. If I had hair, that's how I want to do my hair. Now, I could obsess about it and I could do all kinds of things and spend a lot of money to, you know, get hair again. Um, Maybe. Um, 
Again, a miracle of God in that itself. Um, but, you know, that's, that's those types of things that we can long for and, and strive after. Again, having the fleeting thought, maybe not so big a deal, but if it becomes the main priority of my life, that can become an issue. I'll even say that it can be an issue regarding intangible things, like abilities. Here's a, a downfall for me. This is a real struggle that I have to continually just bring to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your help with this. Because oftentimes, I can look at other people's, and I'll even say other ministers' abilities, and I'll be like, I wish I could do that. I wish that I was like that. I feel like I, am a, I can be a detriment even to the kingdom of God because I can't do that. Do you see how destructive that can be? That, that's like, and I know that's wrong line of thinking as I'm having those thoughts, but sometimes I, I desire to have that. And then I say, but wait, God has gifted me in other ways, and as the body, we come together and we all work together for the good of God. And so I may not be able to do what so-and-so does, or I, I, I'm just not creative like such and such, but I am able to do things that God has called me to do. And in that way, I can have the right thought process. But I will say, sometimes I struggle and I have those icky thought processes. We'll just say it like that. They're just icky. They're destructive. They're no good. And you find yourself in a funk or whatever because of it. Right? We've, I've been there. I don't know about the rest of you. I've been there. Um, but I've learned and I am continuing to learn that I just need to bring them to the Lord, sometimes in repentance and sometimes just asking for his help. Just saying, God, can you just help me because this is something that I am struggling. I don't want to love that. I don't want to pursue that. I want to pursue you, but I'm having a struggle. And he just comes alongside and says, let's walk together. Here we go. And finally, John speaks of the pride of life. And this can be portrayed as a pride in oneself because of what you have. There may be a sense of superiority because of what you have. And sometimes there's contempt for others that go along with it because they don't have that. It can be reflected in a variety of status symbols which can cause you to have errors, perhaps. Perhaps it's the letters behind your name or the honors and the accolades that you've been given. And maybe you have pride of life because of your ancestry. I come from the Lewicks of Portage, don't you know? <laughs> or my third cousin, twice removed, once attended the same conference as Bill Gates. You know, that's their claim to fame. Which you're like, that makes no sense. Which it doesn't. But we have those little things that we may have the pride of life that can pop up. We and sometimes we can look down on others because they don't. And I think that's what Jesus has taught and John is emphasizing here. Don't get sucked into that pride of life. Be humble. Be hum- hum- yes, be humble. It may drive our ambition. We may seek honor and applause above all else when we have this pride of life. And these are the types of things that John writes that are from the world, that they are not from the Father. 
The world promotes doing whatever it takes to get ahead, to advance yourself and tear down others, to make a buck even at someone else's expense, to say whatever you want, to engage in whatever with whomever at whatever time. And these are in direct contradiction to the heart and character of God. Because as we know, Jesus taught that things like being... Jesus taught things like blessed are the meek, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, that we should be humble servants in our attitude toward others, that we should love others just as we love ourselves. Those are the kinds of things that Jesus has espoused and John is trying to grab our attention and say, follow those things, don't follow the ways of the world. And a final reason that John gives for not loving the world can be found in verse 17, where it says, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. As believers and followers of Christ, we now have a new and eternal perspective. Hallelujah. We have something that we can look forward to that goes beyond the world in its here and nowness. What happens in this life, that's one thing, but we have an eternity to look forward to. And John reminds us that the world and all that it offers, all of its desires, they are passing away. Think about it. You may pursue your good looks, but you're still getting old. Words of encouragement by Pastor Mitch. <laughs> that new car at first is great. Runs like... But after a while, you've got to replace the tires and the brakes and you change the oil and everything else. The accolades are great when you receive them, but hardly anyone remembers them after a little while. So John urges us not to pursue those fleeting things. It's kind of like, why would you buy stock in a company that is sure to go bankrupt? Or why would you try to build your house next to a volcano that has already started to spew ashes? It's that kind of a mindset. Why would you pursue the things of the world which are fleeting, which are passing away? It's that same kind of idea. Instead, John is saying, Look to what is eternal. We recognize that we have eternity to look forward to. As we have believed Christ and his message, he has given us eternal life. And as we respond to the love in, that the Father and the Son have given to us, we love him and we pursue him with our lives. And because we love him, we choose to do his will, to follow his principles and guardrails for our lives. And John reminds us that when we do so, we will abide forever. And it's implied that it will be with the Lord Jesus Christ. We can glory and we can take great joy in the fact that there is a new life, there is a new realm, a new kingdom that he has brought us into, and we will abide with him forever. And to that I say praise the Lord. So John has given us a strong exhortation in these verses. Do not love the world or the things in the world. And he's even provided us with some good reasons or incentives to support that guidance. He explains the why. Why should I do that? And I want to take a few minutes to think about what this means for us individually. 
In our cultural context, even in the church, we rarely appreciate how much the world dominates our thinking. It's those subtle things, those little ways that all of a sudden our thought processes can be turned just a little and we're just off. We may not recognize how often our thoughts are more of the world than of the Father. We have loved Jesus, we've been around him, but slowly over time, the influences of the world have eroded at our love for Jesus. And a lot of times it comes when there are huge stressors in our life that we just, it's like we can't handle it, we, we're not sure what to do with it all, and it slowly erodes. And all of a sudden we're doing things that we're like, where did that come from? Why am I, why am I responding that way? How am I doing that? So earlier I mentioned my hope was that we could be reflective and introspective today about the worldly influences in our lives And it's good for us to perform self-checks. Pastor Paul alluded to that while we were taking communion. To take those self-checks and really examine our hearts and our lives. To assess our thought habits. Do they follow more the thoughts of the world or the heart of God our Father? And we can ask this in a number of scenarios, in a number of situations. And it's those things like, how do we assess our standards for success? concerning relationships, regarding our finances. How do we, how do we assess success? How do, we, how do we assess what God would have for us or the world would have for us in any given situation? And I think if we can have a mindset that says, I just want to pursue the Lord, again, it pushes out those influences of the world. John Piper a pastor from Minnesota, expresses kind of the bottom line, I think, so well. He says, Nothing in all the world is more important than experiencing love for God in your heart. I want to say that again. Nothing in all the world is more important than experiencing love for God in your heart. This should be our primary goal, our primary aim in life the trajectory for where we head, that we are pursuing God with everything that we have so that we can experience that love for him in our heart, that we would love him wholeheartedly, heart, mind, soul, and strength, and thus we would walk with him every single day of our lives. So I'm going to ask the worship team to join me on the platform at this time. And as you may be reflecting on the message today and trying to determine what to do next, I just want to offer some encouragement. As we take that reflective and introspective posture, we just think about where the Lord is calling us to go next. And, And first and foremost, whether you've never had a relationship with Christ or you have one but you sense worldly influences gaining a foothold or maybe it already has one in your life, Remember this, God the Father loves you deeply. And I heard on a podcast just the other day another description that God loves you fiercely. He loves you with passion and intensity, more than we even can comprehend. He loves each and every one of you. He is not ashamed of you. He is not mad at you. He simply wants you to come to him. And 
you can come to him for the first time or the, the millionth time, and he still just loves you fiercely because you are his special creation. And next, I just want to offer some guidance. Maybe you're kind of waffling and struggling in this area. And you're saying, yeah, this has had a foothold. Or um, I, I, I just need some help to kind of deal with this on a day-to-day basis. First and foremost, I think just turn your attention, your thinking, your heart to Christ. And keep it there. Even if you get distracted, just bring it back. You may start the day and you might be singing praises and and saying, God, I am all in. I am with you. And by 9 o'clock, coffee's worn off. The demands of the job have come in. And you're like, what what did I pray this morning? But then you have that moment and you just say, okay, I'm going to turn my attention to God once again. And I'm going to pursue him from this point forward. And we just say, God, I repent of what I just did. Let's move forward. He's so gracious and loving that he says, yes, let's walk. Let's do this. So turn our attention to Christ and keep it there. Repent of that sin. If, if, if it's a sin issue, repent of it. Get it cleared. Say, God, I want to turn from that, and I want to turn towards you and keep walking ahead. Then yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. Take time to listen to his voice. He will guide you into all truth if you will let him. If you will just take those moments to, again, turn to Christ, repent of whatever you've done, and you yield to what he's saying, and you just open yourselves up to him, he's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. He's going to give you that wisdom and that direction that you need. Immerse yourself in God's word. Allow the truth that is in here to speak to your heart. To, to give you that guidance that you need. And it might just be a general principle, but it gives you great traction for where you need to go from that day forward. And then actively pursue and chase after Christ as the sole desire of your life. Don't be passive. Don't just say, I'm going to absorb Christ by osmosis. Be active about it. Pursue him. Say, I want to be with you, Lord. I want to walk with you in everything. Pursue him with purpose and conviction. And as you do that, as you are turning your attention to him, as you're yielding to the Holy Spirit and immersing yourself in his word, he's going to give you that strength that you need. And the influences of the world begin to slowly fade and they dim. And they are not as strong a pull in your life anymore. stand with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we do so first and foremost with hearts of gratitude and thanks. We thank you for your great love toward each of us. Love that we did not desire and that we have not earned. Lord, we thank you for the blessing of being able to have ongoing fellowship with you. And in light of your word, we ask that you would speak to each of our hearts. Reveal truth to us so that we can walk with you unhindered and with great joy 
day by day by day. We ask that you, our loving Father, would show us where we have allowed our thinking to be influenced more by the world than by you. And Lord, we ask for that help again each and every day. Each day is new. Each day has different challenges. And we know that we need you through each day, through each challenge, through each situation. Help us to live for you. Help us from this day forward not to love or pursue the world or the things in the world any longer. Rather, help us to love you, to pursue you, to walk with you. And Lord, as we do so, help us to exude you in all things, that you would just flow from the very depths of our hearts. We thank you, Lord, that you are good. We thank you that you continue to love us fiercely and you continue to call us 